0: Welcome to the PMA Path, where we focus on small changes that make big impacts. We talk about habits, hobbies, and actionable lifestyle choices that have helped us change for the better and have a mindset full of that PMA. I hope you enjoy the show. What's up, PMAers? Welcome to episode six of the PMA Path podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Noah Evans, and today I was joined by Gino Ray, who is a friend and fellow podcaster. His podcast, Native As I Can Be, can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check him out, show him some love, and uh, we dig deep, or dive deep, I should say, into his backstory today uh, and how he's gotten to where he is uh, in a very positive space mentally, physically and emotionally, despite uh, some hardships and some major, major loss. So the theme of today's episode is finding the silver lining in loss and basically how to seek help and um, dig yourself out of, of uh, the pain and suffering. So I put some, some links in the show notes. Uh, if you hear of anything, reach out. Uh, if, I, if I missed it, and uh, hopefully it's all there, enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. Appreciate the support. Hit me up on Instagram at the PMA Path underscore podcast or through, um, through Anchor or Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, ideas, whatever, hit me up uh, and we'll make it happen. And also, don't forget to subscribe. Hit me with the five-star if you like it, uh, and leave a review. Much appreciated. Much love. Enjoy the show.
1: What's up, Gino? What's up?
0: <laughs> Welcome to
1: the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, dude. I'm, I'm psyched.
0: Me too. Me too. Well, this is a first for the, the PMA Path podcast, having a fellow podcaster on. So uh, this will be good, man, because we've both been through it and, and understand the, the trials and tribulations of trying to get a show off the ground. And, uh, and I think that your, your story has a lot of value for people, so I can't wait to get into it, man. I'm, I'm fired up. All right. So first and foremost, uh, for the listeners, I want to introduce you to Gino Ray. Who is a father, a stepfather, an actor, a former MMA fighter, a wrestler, a writer, a rapper, a children's book author, an army veteran, a thinker, a creative documentarian, a filmmaker, a really good human being, a member of the Klamath tribes in Southern Oregon. And like I said before, a fellow podcaster and much, much more, which hopefully we can hear a little bit about today. Uh, But I encourage you all to go check out Native as I can be on all the podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, I'm assuming Spotify, anywhere you, you find podcasts, you should be able to find his and it's really good, man. So again, welcome to the show, dude.
1: Man, did I, I really did all that stuff? That- you did, you
0: did. I'm sure you did more too, but... Um,
1: you put it on a list. It sounds, you know, almost impressive.
0: Hey, I'm trying, I'm, I'm I'm taking notes, you know. I'm trying to prepare. So uh, this is good. This is good. So, dude, how, for the listeners out there, like, what prompted you to want to start a podcast and, and kind of get your voice out there? Um because you're obvious, like I, I look at your background and I think this dude is a performer, uh, just in by your nature, um, somewhere inside of you, right? Acting, wrestling, like you're you're you've done a lot of things that s- scream performance to me. And podcasting is a performance, but I also feel like. A lot of the hosts that I listen to, and and myself included, and I, I'm guessing you, we don't want to necessarily
1: be the focal point, right? Um, well, the path I took to get to this podcast is is pretty meandering, so I'll I'll try to keep it concise. But, um, so I don't know how long ago—twelve years ago or more, maybe. I I had this idea where I was going to do a documentary film or maybe a documentary series where I was gonna leave from Klamath Falls which is where my tribe is from in in southern Oregon and I was gonna start there and I was basically gonna walk across the United States but along the way I was gonna interview uh, different tribal leaders and um, people that are involved in the American Indian movement and I was going to um, stay with families, you know, on, on different reservations. And uh, I was going to walk the trail of tears sort of backwards and end up at the Bureau of Indian affairs building in Washington, DC. It was this idea I had. And I, uh, I even did like a Kickstarter and, and tried to get it off the ground and didn't really get anywhere with it. But um, I just, it, it be, it became clear that that was more than one person could, could handle. And, uh, You mean like so, yeah,
0: production and, and just like the scope of that project, you need, you need some
1: crew yeah. and
0: also some financial backing for sure.
1: Exactly. And I had actually talked to somebody, a, a producer at, um, one of the PBS local PBS stations about it. And they were like, uh, So you think you're going to walk all night and then go to somebody's, uh, you know, office and set up a bunch of lights and, you know, and equipment and, and interview them. And I was like, well, no, since you put it that way, you know, you're like, I got an
0: iPhone, man.
1: It's all good. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it kind of got put on the back shelf and, and then it kind of resurrected because I had thought, well, maybe I'll turn it into a book. And yeah. just book of, you know, still with the same philosophy of, of, and, and really the idea behind the documentary, the reason I wanted to do it is because I'm native, but I grew up with a white mom and white sisters and white, you know, cousins and aunts. And I just, you know, feel like I had no idea what being native is like, yeah. Yeah. you know like as if there's a specific way you're supposed to act right. which is ludicrous but um you know if it's just a feeling you have that you know you don't you don't quite get it you know so the reason i wanted to do the podcast or the uh documentary was i'm going to be going place to place to place to kind of expose what is happening in native communities you know, is I mean, reservations are like third world countries. You know, they're just poor and people are having a hard time getting by. And I just wanted to shed some light on some of these things. Yeah. But but at the same time, you know, it was like a walkabout for me. Like yeah. I'm gonna be on the road by myself in my own space in my own head, but then I'm getting to be around, you know, quote unquote real, you know, Indians and I really I really envision it being super enlightening for me and anybody that wants
0: yeah dude I think that's a fucking amazing concept and it, a film or a documentary like that needs to be done so you know you just you said uh, something about reservations being like third world countries and it just made me think I I'm curious how many people outside of native culture or even within have even really been to meant any reservation uh in the country you know i mean it's it, i think it would be really really eye opening for a lot of people to see that that'd be that'd be cool man that'd be really really cool it's a great idea so when you sort of started on that process what age were you like 20s
1: yeah i think i was probably 28 or Okay, somewhere in there, twenty six, okay. twenty eight, somewhere in there.
0: Okay, and then, uh, for obvious reasons, meaning you know, just sheer scope of a project like that, that didn't happen yet, and uh, and so, the podcast was kind of, would you say that's like a, like a like a alternate route, or did that come later?
1: Yeah. That just, that just kind of surfaced recently because I had then decided I was going to put it in book form and I had started, uh, well, I actually did kind of resurrect the documentary idea, but I shelved it pretty quick, but I did a ton of, of work on how I wanted to lay it out. And I had it like a per episode synopsis. And I had a, like, I had the music pick for each episode and all the people I needed to contact for each episode. And, Nice. And again, it just got to where I was like, "Oh my god, this is huge!" Like yeah. I just, you know, when you when you lay it all out, it's like, "How am I going to do this?" Like, yeah. so then it, it became, "Well, I can still do this, but I'll do it in a book, and I could still interview the same people, but I don't have to travel around necessarily to do it." And um, and I had sort of the same vibe where, like, "Man, this is really big, and, yeah," and it, it was a little intimidating and. So I was basically I was sort of like I had a goal in mind, which would be the documentary, and I decided to kind of start working backwards. Yeah. And that's how I ended up at the podcast. Because I was like, well, a podcast I can do. That's yeah. that's easy enough to do. I can I could still make the connections and I just have to call them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh and that's where it started. And I thought, all right, if the podcast picks up some steam then I can kind of start going back up that path to get to the documentary.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So if anybody's listening and they've got connections, experience or backing hit Gino up because uh, you know, it's all about connecting the right people. And that's a, that's a project that needs to happen. So, um, and you have experience this is a good segue, but you have some experience in being in front of the camera too. Um, what's that about, man? That's, that's,
1: I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, I'm sure uh, a shrink would probably be able to give you some insight into that, but um, yeah, dude, I, there's, I think a lot of the time I'm probably more comfortable on a stage or in front of a large group of people than, than doing kind of a one-on-one thing. Yeah. You know, but in the, and I just feel like if I'm on stage or in front of a camera, I just have supreme confidence that I can win over any crowd. Like, you know, like literally with my back against the wall, I feel like I got this. I'm going to I'm going to win these guys over.
0: Dude, that's that's uh, that's a big statement. That's awesome
1: yeah but one on one I'm like oh god i don't even i don't even know what to say, I don't know what to ask like yeah
0: it's interesting that's yeah. very that's interesting man i i think a I think a lot of people might feel the opposite way of that right like one on one is more comfortable for many than i mean you know stage frights a real thing, and um overcoming that speaking publicly. Especially, I would think, especially on camera for most people. So that's interesting that that's kind of your your process of that, which is great, man, because you spent some time acting uh, in L.A. too, right?
1: Yeah, I was in L.A. for a couple years, and probably my most notable project was they did this Andrew, Andrew Jackson documentary for the History Channel, and I was a Choctaw, and I got to – you know, wade through this Creek and do some fighting and kind of had, you know, two minutes of screen time, you know, nice. but I made some bank for it. It was pretty tight, but, um, yeah. And it's, it was just a lot of little projects and it was based it was mostly, you know, extra work, but I did some, some student films and that I don't think ever saw the light of day. And, um, at least on a, uh, uh, you know, broadcast level, but, um, Yeah, dude, I just, I went down there and I had a homie that I knew from Boise, Idaho that had moved down there. And he was like, dude, come on down. Let's like, let's make it happen. And so that's what I did. I just kind of packed up and went.
0: Nice. And had some, had some success, had some wins, dude. That's awesome. Uh, Is that something that you want to get back into one day or is that ship kind of sailed just because life happens and you've got other responsibilities now, but, um, or is that something that's like still burning inside of you to try to try to capture?
1: I think if the right situation came up, I would be into it, but it's not something I'm, I'm actively pursuing. I, gotcha. I did, I was doing that a couple of years ago, but there's just not a ton of opportunities in Portland.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: there's definitely more now. I mean, people are starting to catch on or they already have that Portland's kind of, you know, a dope spot to to do your thing. And 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 also you don't have to pay the same production that you would in LA in Portland. Mm. You don't have to pay the actors as much. You don't have to pay the crew as much. And, um yeah, I did some stuff in Portland too. I did Portlandia. I did the librarians. I did, there was a show called, I think it was called Stadies and I was on that show. Um as a tribal officer, and that one was just a pilot that didn't get picked up but um but yeah, I mean it's just fun, and really for me it's more interesting it's interesting both ways because when you get to sit and watch a production a large scale production happening, yeah, you see how many moving parts there are it's like fascinating as hell, just how many people are involved to to make you know two characters talk on screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I was involved in a commercial one time or not a commercial, like a marketing video, um, that work. And it was the same thing. I was like, Oh my God, they got probably 50 or 60 people and the finished product was, you know, just a couple of minutes. Right. And it took, it took three or four days at that, at the part that I was involved in just to get it produced. So that's crazy, man. Well, cool. Cool, man. Um, And then you, you moved around quite a bit as a kid, you, you grew up on the Oregon coast and you went to Arizona and then like in your late teens, early twenties, I guess you went LA, Boise, Vegas, I think. Uh, and then you joined the army too, uh, right out of high school, right?
1: Yeah. So I left high or yeah, about a week after I graduated, I, I went to the army and, uh, did my thing there. I was a a 31 Romeo, which is a multi-channel transmission systems operator and maintainer. <laughs> With, Sounds yeah, official. It's it's legit, man. But yeah, basically we would go up on a like on a hill and we'd have these antennas we had to crank by hand, and they would go up, I think, fifteen meters, and um, and then basically people could run a a. Cable, like a phone line into our shelter and they would have comms. So we are, it was a communications, almost like a, like a rudimentary kind of like cell phone tower. Yeah. Nice. So we would go do that and be out for, I didn't see any, any combat or anything. I spent most of my time in Korea and just a lot of training exercises, but um,
0: was that, was that like uh for four years or something? Yeah. Yeah. For four years. Then you came back to the States uh, and kind of landed up in Boise, right?
1: Yeah, I was in Boise for a little bit, and yeah, I moved to LA from Boise, and then Got went back to Boise for a little bit, Got and that—that's where uh, my first son was born. But um, yeah, the uh, yeah, so basically, it was Oregon, Arizona, Missouri, Georgia, Korea, Boise, LA, Boise.
0: <laughs> Got it. So moving around, but a lot of West Coast. And you know, far yeah. east, I guess.
1: Yeah, real far east,
0: real far east. Cool, man. Um, all right. Well, thanks for the background. There's more to it. Again, check out Gino's podcast. I, uh, I think it's episode four. You did kind of a solo endeavor, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really interesting, man. I, I got a lot out of it. Um, I wanted to share this with you because. You made a comment in the episode. I think it was towards the end, but you're basically like, hey, guys, don't worry. I'm going to have somebody more interesting on or more interesting guests. And I was sitting there thinking like, dude, you're interesting, man. You got a lot of stories. You got a lot of background. Um, one thing we barely touched on, which maybe we should save this for another uh, another conversation, is... Uh, your MMA fight or mixed martial arts fight. I think that was in Montana. And, uh, I mean, just the fact that you're willing to get in there is commendable. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's really, it's inspiring dude. So good on you for that. And, uh, we'll save that conversation, or we'll save that story for another time. Cause I think that is probably longer than we have today, but, um, yeah, dude. yeah, was- you got a super interesting background, and uh and I can't wait to hear more episodes in the future. So keep it up.
1: Well, there was six amateur fights, and then that was my one and only pro fight.
0: Oh well, shit, there you go. Even yeah. even more so then <laughs> seven times. And uh and your your homie uh, Kenji, the fighting pastor. That was a really good episode too. Which kind of leads me into one of my next questions about um about spirituality and religion are you are you a religious person
1: uh religious no spiritual yes definitely okay. spiritual, but i don't I, I don't read the bible or uh, go to church but i have a i i feel like i have a legit connection with something that's bigger than me
0: yeah Good, cool, man. Um, all right, so you mentioned – we can get back to that in a few minutes. But you mentioned uh, when you went back to Boise, uh, your first son was born there. And um, just for anybody listening, uh, Gino has a son now who is two? Yep. Two, just about two, uh, named Che. And he's uh, – also has a stepson who is 13-ish. Is that right?
1: Yeah, he'll be 13 next month.
0: So, uh, big age gap, but um, both really good kids. And you also had another son named Bams, or is it Bambino?
1: It's any of the above. His, okay. I mean, his real name is Tristan, but Got I mean, it. he might have called that the first day he was born, but it was always... BAMS or Bambino or Bamboo or some combination of any of those. Ragu, even on some occasions. There you go.
0: Ragu. I like that. Uh, so BAMS was was born in, I think, 2009. Is that right? Uh, 2008.
1: 2008.
0: All right. And um, was born with a condition called um, Charge Syndrome. Right. And so... You have an episode about that. Uh, this, you know, hopefully is not... Um, hopefully I'm not overstepping. But uh, he had charge syndrome, which anybody can can look up. I'm not going to try to uh, pronounce what it's called, although I have it written down here. But it it is um, something that is... Well, I'll let you explain it. But uh, long story short, he sounded like a freaking amazing little dude man um i really enjoyed listening to your your story about him and just like how every room he went into people lit up and it was just like sharing his energy was off the charts um and and he passed away in 2015 um and i just wanted to kind of we can we can talk about as much as you as you're comfortable with uh but i just wanted to get into this because as a parent it's you know the most difficult thing i think people can agree that that anybody can go through losing the loss of a child um you know i'm not going to pretend to know any of the emotions but i can only imagine and to 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 hear your story and then to see where you are today, I think is just a testament to to you and your support and your mindset. And uh and I think there's a lot there of value for other people. Um so can you kind of talk about that a little bit and uh sure. and give some background and then you know, I, I know there was some dark days and there probably still will be many more to come, but um but yeah.
1: Well, and I think it's just, you know, I think it's a testament to the human spirit, like, Mm -hmm. because you see people that overcome crazy stuff, you know, all the time. So, like, I don't think it's limited to me. I think it's just people have it in them to make it, you know. And um, Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah, so he was born with charge. Um, There was nothing during the pregnancy that indicated anything was wrong. Um, but when he was born, I mean, it was it was real clear. And basically, charge. I'm not good. It's an acronym, like you said. You can, you can go ogle it. And uh, it's. But basically, there's there's heart defects. There's issues with the eyes. There's usually um, hearing problems. There's growth, uh, you know, issues. They're developmentally behind usually, and it's just a genetic disorder that's pretty rare. Um, but he had it and we had no idea and we had no idea what we were in for, you know, as far as dealing with that, uh, ailment. And, um, so he, I think he, he had 13 surgeries by the time it was all done. He had a heart surgery and, uh, he, uh, had two hernia operations. He got a cochlear implant, um, he just went through the ringer, like yeah. But um, that was what was so amazing about him was you never, okay, rarely saw him down as a result. Like, there's a song called uh, "This Friendly Friendly World," and if you've ever seen Man on the Moon, Andy Kaufman sings it in that in that movie. But um, mm-hmm. and it's just. Uh, the lyrics are kind of like um, how can anybody be sad when this is the world we're given like the sun and, and the stars and the smiling people and like we played that at his funeral because like that was him that was totally him like his outlook was so positive like he was just in a good mood and it was infectious and he uh, just always had a smile on his face and I mean obviously it was easy to tell there was some things going on with him but um as far as physically but um outwardly what he projected was was uh pure sunshine I mean that was him so um yeah so he uh as a result he would sometimes have seizures and sometimes these seizures, he would just stop breathing. <clears throat> um, <laughs> it, I got to get, you know, real good at doing CPR because I had to do it. I can't even, I mean, countless times. So, yeah. and uh, that is a scary ass thing to deal with. Um. And I think when he finally passed, I think it was, his body just had had enough like, yeah. And uh, he was at his mom's house and uh, that was, that was it. He just couldn't, he couldn't take anymore. And uh, so um, he was on life support for three or four days and we had to finally, you know, make that decision and it was brutal.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's unreal, man. It's really, it's really powerful listening to you now, but also um, as you're recapping kind of his story. And, and it, one thing that just stuck out to me was how, not only how sort of positive and uh, the aura that he, he shared with people, but you talk a lot about his mom and, and how she, <clears throat> you know, had, I think two other older kids that were, you know, playing sports and, and he would be there, you know, cheering them on and, and just living a life full of love and joy and excitement and obviously support, um, to not only a strong dad, but also a strong mom uh, and, and spreading that out there. So it's clear to me who, ne- I never met him, but um, he had a super positive impact on the world for those who did. And, you know, that's kind of, that's just, that's great, man. I mean, well, that, there's that's no other a way great, to put it.
1: Yeah. And that's a great point too, that, um, you know, if, if everybody had the kind of, support and love um and warmth around them you know yep. they might be inclined to to walk around with a smile on their face like he did yeah you know? and, and I'm glad you brought her up because you know her name is Fanya. she still lives in, in Boise but yeah she has two older kids and then uh, a younger kid one born after him and uh yeah, she is without a doubt one of the best, if not the best mom I've ever encountered. Because she yeah. did it. The kids were in, like you were saying, the kids were into sports. There was always a practice or a game or a fundraiser or whatever whatever they have um, had to do. And she did all of it. She didn't. Yeah. She never was like, we can't do that. There's no way. She made a way. I mean, if she had to drag him to every game all day long, she would do it. And um and he was just there for the ride. He was happy to go. Um, but yeah, she is an incredible woman. And, um, I don't know. It would, I think it would have been hard for anybody to manage all that, but she managed to do it with a smile on her face and still giving them all the, the, uh, attention and, and love that they needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to raise a kid no matter what the circumstances are let alone a couple of kids and, and let alone anything out, you know, any additional responsibility is just, it's really, it's really, uh, commendable. So shout out to Fanya, uh, shout out to Gino and, uh, and thanks for sharing that, man. So, so after he, his passing, um, what, what, what kind of transpired. And, um, you, again, you talk about this in in your episodes a bit. Uh, but I know that you had obviously some dark days and which is totally understandable. And, um, there's people out there dealing with all kinds of stuff like you were talking about. So how did you sort of adjust, I guess is probably not the right word, but how did you, how did you move forward and ultimately sort of get to where you are today? Cause you and I were talking about a week ago before we, when we were kind of setting this up and, uh, and you were just saying how like almost guilty you feel because of 2020 and just the the state of everything in the country and the pandemic and, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, on a personal level, you were feeling really good about where you were at and where you were heading, not just, you know, financially or, or physically, but mentally and spiritually.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was living in Boise at the time when he passed away. And, you know, this is not a knock on Boise or Idaho, but it really, I, I did not really, Fit in well there, and um, so leaving Boise at that point after he had passed away was kind of a no brainer, you know. And I had friends there, and 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 good friends there, but it just, I don't, it wasn't I, serving you. Yeah, and I just, and I don't, I didn't have any family there aside from Fanya, and um, well, I had a cousin that lived nearby, but it just wasn't. I don't know if I would have made it if I had stayed. Um, so in Portland, I had a sister and well both of my sisters and my dad and you know moving here just had to be done like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't gonna it just wasn't gonna work the way I was trying to live after he passed away and so I moved here my sister had like a little guest house kind of thing in the back and that um she had been renting and um they moved and so i just had a spot kind of built in and uh but yeah i mean it was real bad for about a year i mean it was you know my spark was totally gone yeah like i was you know i was able to go to work and maintain and i didn't completely just duck into a hole but you know i might as well have because I was just, there was nothing I was doing that was um, enriching my life at all. Because I thought my life was over, you know? Yeah. It it felt over. And um, so there was just insane amounts of whiskey. Like, I mean, I kept whiskey in the trunk of my car so that, I could run out and have some like on breaks or before I went into work. And it was, uh, <laughs> my weight ballooned up to just, I look like a Brown, like I look like the stay puff marshmallow man. If he was slightly cooked, <laughs> I was just this like puffy Brown, like, and, um, yeah, dude. And it was just, There were days, I can't say I was suicidal, but there was definitely days where I woke up and was like, seriously, like, how much do I have to consume? Like, and as it turns out, it takes a lot to drink yourself to death more. So, and, um, so, um, yeah, dude. And I just, uh, just didn't care anymore. Like, I, I missed him, you know, such a degree that like it was just a big black hole. It's the only way I can put it. There was just a hole in me. And, uh, I didn't think, I didn't think it would ever get filled. Um, and then, um, I met my girlfriend, my current girlfriend, and she uh here's what let me just sidebar here for a second. When you yeah. are drinking like that or using or anything, you put your people in such a hard position because um if they, you know, if they if they dare say anything to you about it, You know you're gonna you're gonna shut them off. Like you're not gonna you're gonna remove them from your life because they are trying to impede on you destroying yourself. You're right. You can't have that. You know you can't have anybody getting in your way. So they actually have to kind of just sit there and watch, just so they can keep an eye on you. You know, like they have to they can't get shut out because then they don't, they, they don't know what you're going to do. So.
0: You're putting them them in a, in a really tough position to love you and help you, but also not make it worse. You know, like I can, I can see what you're saying there. Like they don't want to make it worse by saying something and having you flip out or, (laughs) you know, disappear or whatever. Uh, But, for obvious reasons, being concerned and, you know, fearful. And especially in, in the aftermath of, of such an event that like, you don't know what's going to happen, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. And nobody knows what to do for you. Right. Because you're not, that's not something you're taught. Like how do you help somebody that lost a child? Like, yeah, that's not something that comes up all that often. So you, you, you know, I mean, anybody, it doesn't have to be a child, you know, anybody that's grieving, you don't know, you don't know what's best for them and they don't know what's best for them. Typically. Um, They just want the, they just want the hurting to stop. And uh, so, you know, when I met Laura, I was still pretty deep um, in my uh, funk there and she recognized it and Uh, she kind of said some, uh, she said some things to me that my family was not saying. And that's, that's not a knock on them at all. Like my family that she just, and it might have something to do with her. Her name's Laura, by the way. And it might have something to do with maybe her social work background or, but she continually would um, hammer into my head that um, like, that I still had some worth yeah. You know, that my life wasn't over. Um, and, uh, and it started to get through, you know, and she's got such a huge heart and um, she kind of was, you know, writing it out a little bit. Cause I put her in a tough spot too. Like, when we start having these feelings for each other and I'm still doing my same old shit, like she has to decide like, okay, do I, do I go in and try to pull them out or do I have to walk away? Right. And, um, and she chose to, to stick with me. And, um,
0: well, you, you said, you said earlier, which I think is spot on is when you're in that space you're putting all your people in, in such a bad position or mm-hmm. you said something like that. And, and Laura too. I mean, she, she, you guys met each other while you were in it, yeah. but she's like, you said, catching feelings. You guys are becoming more serious. And then it's like, well, well, what do I do with this guy? Right? Like, yeah. do I, do I go all the way or do I have to walk away? Because, Again, if I say the wrong thing, what is that going to do to to his mental space, or or uh, what's going to happen? You know, nobody ever knows. So, um,
1: but I'm well, glad she I'm a-
0: glad she kept with it because clearly it's had an impact. And and, uh, and sometimes it's just you know one step forward turns into two, and then you build some momentum, and you look back in a few years, and it's like holy shit, how did I go that far?
1: Yeah, well, and she had a kid to think about, you know, like, and I don't think at any point she was ever worried about me being like some drunk, violent, you know, because that's just not me. But it's more about like, well, I don't really want my kid to get attached to this guy who's who's just going to disappear. You know, I think that was more what she was worried about, that if we started to develop a relationship and I decided to to, to go back and get back in my hole. Like, where's that going to leave my where's that going to leave her? And, you know, so that's the position she had to have yeah. to be in. Um, I remember one time she, she didn't give me like an ultimatum, but she kind of just pointed out, she was like, I think if, if you had to choose between whiskey and me, you would choose whiskey. You know, my first reaction was like, "No, I wouldn't, dude. I'm way into you, dude. I'm, I'm right. all about you." And she's like, "You've got whiskey in your car right now, and and you have blown me off to go get drunk. So you've already made your choice." Yeah. And that's and she's like, "That's fine, but I can't do that. Like, yeah, want to be second to whiskey. Like, and it wasn't like quit drinking or else. It was like." this is where it is. This is where we stand, you know? Yeah. So got to decide what's more important to you.
0: Sounds like a wise woman right there, man.
1: Totally, man. And I just, <laughs> never, I just had never thought of it like that. Yeah. Not, I mean, I knew whiskey was sort of a precedent in my life, but I didn't necessarily look at it as being yeah. more important in relationships.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh... That's a truth. That's truth right there, you know, truth teller. And uh it's good that you recognized it at some point and obviously made made uh changes to your your actions cuz you guys are still together. You have a beautiful mm-hmm. son together. You guys uh, you know, are on the path and enjoying each other's company still years later.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: so Laura Laura was obviously a big help for um, changing your mindset, you, you mentioned that she she kind of drilled into your head that you're you have value and uh, and you have worth and and something to give and and something worth fighting for. So, but at some point, you had to make a choice as well to to change. Yeah. So walk us through that and kind of what that looked like, if you can remember it. I I think sometimes it just kind of happens and you, you can't pinpoint it, but, um, walk us through that. And then kind of like, what's, what things you've been doing since to, to get back to a, to a positive mindset and also, you know, just, just happiness, man. I mean, that's what I think people are looking for.
1: Um, I I mean, I actually remember when I decided to quit drinking distinctly, which is interesting because I was drunk at the time. Like, yeah, um, I was I had went out to the bar that I I had moved out to Oregon City and there was this bar I used to live at pretty much. And um, so I went to this bar I'd been drinking, drove home, of course. Yeah, Um, I just didn't give a shit at that time. And I got food and it was raining super hard and it was in November and I'm not sure which year this would have been, but, um, so I got food to go. It was raining so hard and I lived in this huge apartment complex and there was never any parking near my apartment. So I parked way off on the other side of it and (laughs) this is so stupid, but so I sitting. in, I didn't want to walk in the rain. So I was sitting in the car, eating my food, hoping it would die down and, I sat in the car so long that I could not remember where my apartment was, and and so that's just telling the, how drunk I was. <laughs> I'm not
0: I'm not laughing at you, dude. I'm laughing because this scenario is so familiar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay. so yeah, so you're eating so
0: your food. What what kind of food were you?
1: eating? It was like bar food. It was like tots and like yeah, I think it course. was just it grease. Was like a, yeah. I think it was like a sourdough, you know, burger. Okay. I think. And, uh, yeah. So I sat there and I got out of my car and I couldn't recognize where I was at. And the rain is just dumping on me. And, um, there was a, one of my coworkers lived in a different part of the complex. And so I messaged her and I'm like, dude, I'm standing here. Can you come get me and f- help me figure out where my, cause I don't want to walk in the rain, you know, for hours. And, And, uh, so she and her boyfriend came and got me and we figured it out after a couple minutes, but you know, it was like, what in the fuck am I doing, dude? Like, how is, how is this helping me? How is this like, yeah. making this pain and loss go away. It's not dude. It's just, it's just creating more. It's more for the people around me because they got to sit and watch this and, um, Laura would get so pissed at me because I'd be hammered ass drunk and I would call her or she would call me to just check on me. And, you know, I'd be going on this rant about what, a you know, I always called myself a waste away, just a fucking waste drunk. You know, that's all I'm going to be. That's all I am. Like who gives a shit? It's all I'm going to do. And uh, she would just get pissed because she knew that wasn't true. Yeah. But, at at that moment, that's, that's all I knew. And, uh, so anyways, like the night I decided to quit and I was just feeling like an idiot and got to my apartment and was sitting in my bathroom and I called my dad and, uh, you know, my dad lost a child too. And, um, my sister Leslie. And so he often was my go-to because he was the only person I knew that, could understand yeah i she was much older she was an adult and overdosed and uh so i just was kind of like yeah this isn't working dude i'm in serious pain but it's not going away and uh he was like maybe you need to stop yeah <laughs> it isn't working maybe you need to stop and he's like i get it i did the same thing i still do it now but if it's not working, it might, you know, maybe you need to think about something else. And, and I think I talked to Laura that night too. And, you know, of course she was all for it. Like, and so it was that night while drunk, soaking wet in my bathroom that I'm like, okay, let's give this a shot. And I didn't have another drink again after that. Um,
0: That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, that's real. That's real shit. I mean, to make a decision like that and stick to it, number 1 is commendable. But uh to to recognize the issue, I think is the first the first stage or step if you want to call it a step. Um Wow, dude. Okay. Um I'm just like I can literally see that happening. Uh, because I've been there before too. And it's just like a lot of people don't make that, that change. So good for good on you for, uh, for sticking to it, man. Um, all right. So fast forward, cause we're, I was planning on shortening up these episodes and we're not shortening up. So that's all good though. There's, there's no time limit on the podcast. It's one of the benefits. Um, All right. So fast forward. So nowadays you're like, what's kind of some of the things that have helped you stay not only sober, but in, in a, in a more uh, optimistic mindset.
1: Well, it's interesting. So when I got sober once a week, I was doing this kind of recovery group called smart recovery. And it's sort of an AA alternative and sort of one of the main draws to it is, that there isn't like, you don't have to do this whole higher power thing. Yeah, It's supposed to be more scientifically based, you know, on data and research and this and that. And so I was doing that once a week and that that really helped because, you know, you go into a room with people that can understand, like they might not understand the loss of a child, but they understand the need <laughs> to reach for a drink first thing in the morning or what whatever their thing was, you know. And, uh so just being able to go in there and bounce stuff off of people and, and have them at least sort of get it. Um, cause people that haven't had those kind of problems, I don't think can understand it. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it's like, it's as easy as never drinking again, but that's super hard to do. And for somebody that doesn't have that mindset, it's, it's kind of hard for them to, so, um, So, yeah, so it's interesting. So there was no higher power thing involved with that. And that was kind of appealing because I wasn't really into that at the time. You know, when you lose a son, it's kind of hard to believe there's a God looking out for you. You know, Mm -hmm. that that almost felt like a slap in the face for someone to even suggest that. And, um, yeah, there's this almighty, caring God who made my son leave me when he was seven Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, so, um, so I did the smart recovery and and got some sobriety under my belt. And then Laura had me doing this program. She didn't have me doing it, I chose to do it. This program called, uh, oh man, (laughs) I can't think of the name of it. Um, but it's like this weekend long program, and you really, you really get it stuck to you in a little bit and they strip off all the bullshit and the the lies and um that helped what I found in that program was that I was using my son's death to my own advantage which was the worst feeling in the world but was good to I guess admit um because the people that knew about it at work not everybody knew my son had died but kind of the people that needed to know knew yeah and you know i would kind of use that to act like a jerk you know like oh god that poor guy he's in such a bad space no wonder he's like snapping at people <laughs> you know or just like calling in oh, i can't do it today i can't do it when yeah. really i was hung over or was about to get too hung over but um but um Oh, Landmark. The name of the program is Landmark. It's a great program. But um, we'll put, uh,
0: I'll put some notes in here because I think Smart Recovery is a good resource for people, too. Um, and Landmark. I'll put a link in, in the
1: notes. Um, let's see. So, yeah. So once I had some sobriety under my belt and I was and I was seeing clearly, um, I did start to kind of realize that maybe there was something bigger and maybe uh, maybe my son dying wasn't the end of my life, but it was the end of that chapter of my life. Because basically, you know, this is true of anything where there's an event that happens that you cannot control. Like I could not control that event in anything car wreck, or somebody looks at you sideways or anything like that is beyond your control. But what is in control is your reaction to it. And yeah. uh I just had to kind of change my reaction. Like I couldn't do anything about him being gone, but I could, I could totally, uh, purposefully live my life after that. And, and not just wade through the muck. I could actually get out of the muck and start to, to get, get my head right. And, um, that's one of the things I learned at landmark too, was just that purpose, uh, purposeful living, you know? And, um, man, this is hard to tie together. Now I'm trying to get all these loose strings and make this like. Dude, this is, this
0: is, this is is good, man.
1: You're, uh, you're
0: shedding a lot of, of insight and a lot of life uh, or a lot of uh, advice to people. You said changing my reactions, I think is, I mean, you could apply that to almost any scenario um, and letting go of the things that you can't control and not allowing them to be excuses for your behavior uh, as you become an adult and as you grow up and as you become a father and as you, you know, become a man. Uh, Those are just super simple concepts, very difficult to do. Right. But again, recognizing that you're maybe not doing that or that you want to do that is just the first First step towards towards being a better person, and then subsequently enjoying your life more, and enjoying and people being around you, and those people enjoying your presence, and you know, back to back to Bams like bringing good energy out to the world, right? So yeah. you can't do that if you're not willing to acknowledge that you're not doing that, and then you know that you hope to do that, and so I think that's really. Really basic, but also really, like, strong and really uh, much needed. So, Um, but, yeah, I mean, tying it all together, I think, is you were saying that one of the appeals of Smart Recovery is that there's no uh, God references or, you know, your higher power, which is Mm -hmm. heavy in the AA community, which is also a great program for the right people. Um, Totally. But, 100%
1: agree.
0: But I think where you were going is that, ironically, as we stated in the beginning, like your spirituality has, imp- it has increased, not improved, but increased mm-hmm. a lot. And so, um, if you want to touch on that, because you you have a practice, I know at the end of the day that uh, I think is a really good takeaway for people as well. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, and it's just uh, something I never intended, but kind of also part of uh, uh, landmark, and even just some of the stuff that me and Laura are talking about is gratitude. In you know, making a list of things you're grateful for, especially when you're having a shitty day yeah. or you know going through a rough a rough. Patch and so I started kind of doing these gratitudes here and there. Where I'd write some things down like you're healthy, you got a job, you got a car, you know, basic stuff. That when you put it all on a piece of paper, you're like, damn, I got actually a lot yeah. to be grateful. For. And you know, doing you know better than a lot of people. Um, and what also evolved from that, um, along with gratitude was kind of just putting stuff out into the universe and uh, kind of getting it off my chest and not necessarily like a confessional, but more like, "Boy, well, you know, this is something I'd really like to see happen. Like I'd really like to uh, write more. or I'd really like to be friendlier or meditate, you know, meditate 15 minutes a day. And I just kind of found the more that I kind of put stuff out, and just verbalized them they started happening yeah you know and the and they were never in the way i suspected but or that i thought but you know things started happening that i was seeking and mm-hmm. and i kind of did start to realize like well you know i'm doing this sobriety thing with a lot of help but i think there's it feels like there's more to it mm-hmm. like there feels like you know you can't nobody can do it for you but you can definitely have kind of a strong tailwind whether that's your people or the program or just what's motivating you to do it yeah and i just kind of started (laughs) to feel like well i'm being grateful for these things and these things that i'm kind of putting out into the universe are happening they're happening for me so what's up with that you know and then it just (laughs) And, and especially once you come out of that deep, dark fog, you know, where so much of your senses and thoughts and feelings are really, uh, murky when you start to come out of that and your eyes start opening up more, your feelings start opening up more and you do kind of, at least for me, I started to definitely feel like, okay, there's, there's more to existence than I can see or understand. Yeah, I mean, that's how it, to me. So, yeah, I don't read the Bible. I don't do anything like that. But every night, I, I I call it a prayer, for lack of a better term. You know, I will literally. I mean, I will get down on my knees. You know, like, and at the end of the bed, and just say all the things I'm grateful for. And I mean, that's what I always, I always. I I always that, um. And then I'll get to, uh, you know. Can you please watch out for my people? Can you keep us healthy? Can you, uh, you know, just a, a list of, you know, it's never like, can I get a million dollars? You know, so it's just like, please watch out for my people and keep them healthy. And if they're if they're struggling, can you can you stop the backslide or help them get to their feet and. You know, whatever situation, whatever will improve their situation, like, please help them find that. And, uh, it just always seems to work. <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, but like I was saying, it doesn't happen in ways that I thought, like, and I won't get into specifics cause I, I, I feel like that's for me and yeah. whoever I'm talking to, but you know. Things happen, and and I can always trace them back to like, oh, you remember you you were just asking about that.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: like, yeah. It's
0: fine. that's awesome, and, man. And and you're recognizing it because you're aware of something greater than just your your yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I love that. I've always been kind of not jealous is the wrong word because I also didn't. I never grew up religious. I've I've never read the Bible. I've never, you know. I'm I'm technically Jewish, but um I've been to temple maybe a handful of times in my life. And uh but I've always kind of had this appear or you know, curiosity, I guess, or um again, jealous is the wrong word, but I, I like the concept of prayer. Um and to hear that you do that without that overtone um is inspiring, man. So that might be something that I take away and, and implement because uh clearly it's working for you. And we, you know, we've done, I've done some gratitude lists and started doing that. Actually, another guest um, does something in the morning where he writes it out. Uh, 10 great 10 intentions and 10 things he's grateful for every morning, which I implemented that. And that has changed in a short period of time. Uh, my perspective as well. But I like, yeah, the, and I, I like I the verbalizing have- it. I think that's important.
1: Yeah. And I don't think you have to be religious to be gracious. Yeah, you know? no, not at all. I think if you're hung up on the, the, the God thing or the spirituality thing, you can still be grateful yeah. <laughs> for so Yeah.
0: Yep. Awesome, man. Well, dude, we, we did an hour and, uh, doesn't feel like that, but, I really appreciate you, uh, coming on and and opening up and sharing your story, uh, and kind of how you've overcome what you've overcome and gotten to the point in your life today with, uh, with two healthy boys and, uh, a, a happy, happy wife, happy life. I know, I know you guys aren't married yet or will be, I don't know, no pressure, but, uh. You guys are in a good space man so thank you for coming on and uh and and also introducing me you're the first and only podcaster that i knew before this whole thing started so you kind of got me hip to the idea that it's doable so thanks for that too
1: well and here's the i i have another another um person that was a guest on my show um who the the girl that did uh i don't know if you've listened to that one but she she um got hiv and she was from this small town in oh yeah yeah she ended up in san francisco she now has her own she started doing her own podcast oh awesome it's like i i like uh if if my if i never record another podcast i still have this at least i can point to like well look Two people that were guests on mine started their own. Like, that's a pretty, Hell yeah. That's a pretty, like, cause she said the same thing. Like, after you had said that you were going to do yours, she had said it before, like, I really liked being on your show and I really have kind of a, a lot to say, my own views, and I think I'm going to do my own. I was like, dude, tight. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. yeah.
0: So it really is, uh, it really is. I don't know what the right word is, but if I just know that after every, after recording an episode, you're on like a, a high kind of, it's weird. It's this like strange feeling where you just feel it makes, at least for me, it makes me feel really good. I've gotten some, some positive comments back from a lot of the guests that have been on and just like, thank you for giving me the platform to, to share that or talk about that. Cause you know, in today's world, we don't, have long winded conversations very often with our friends or even one of my, Mm -hmm. my buddies, I haven't put it out yet, but, um, we were talking, he's like, you're one of the few people that I actually talk to rather than just text, you know? And it's just like crazy to, to think that this is kind of a dying, uh, dying interaction amongst people, especially nowadays with, you know 2020 and covid and not seeing people mm-hmm. in person the way we were before so yeah dude you uh you got me hip to it um and appreciate you and it was really fun talking to you so thank you all the listeners go listen to native as i can be there's uh how many episodes do you have 14 15
1: uh, yeah, something like There's that. There's a decent 13, amount of
0: content on there with some really uh, interesting topics, and uh, and and it's worth it's worth checking out. So go give it a okay. listen. What's that?
1: Can I make one one final point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think that you don't really you never know what life is going to hand you, right? And so my son dying was obviously the worst thing. And, but my son dying got me to move to Portland and moving to Portland, got me to meeting Laura and McKinney and then meeting Lauren McKinney. And then we brought in Che, and then we bought a house. I mean, so it was a devastating thing, but it, it was kind of the jump off to where I am now. And that to me is, I mean, that's just how life is. That's, you know, if you can find a silver lining, you know, I'm sure there is one, but I mean, that's, that's my silver lining that I'm here and I have a new son and he's amazing. And McCunney's amazing. and Amazing. So, you know, if you can find the silver lining, like it's, I mean, it's there. I think it's there no matter what it is, what the situation.
0: Well said, man. Well said, we're going to end it on that note. Kino, thank you. Uh, we'll talk soon.